Grab your Bibles, amen. Grab your Bibles, your holy word, your swords, amen. And turn to the book of Numbers, to the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter. Amen. Actually, we're going to start at the 13th chapter, then we'll make our way over. Numbers chapter 13, amen. So glad to see you all here, all our visitors and friends. get there say got it. got it and if not there say wait got it have it amen numbers chapter 13 starting at verse 1 it says the Lord spoke to Moses saying send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel for each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the commandment of the Lord, all of them men who were the heads of the people of Israel. And if you could just turn to verse 25 in chapter 13 still, and it says... And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel and the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up and once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the, to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Let's skip over to chapter 14, verse 22. And it says, we're going to go to verse 24. It says, but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and have followed me fully, I will bring, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. 
Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would bless this message and this word for your people. Father, I pray that you will allow your spirit to dwell in this place. For we know, Father God, that you are not just a, a God who wants to come by word, but who comes with a demonstration of power. So let your power be manifested before your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. For 2010, our theme as a church is, 2010 is the year of courage. 2010 is the year of courage. It is the year that we move from maintenance or from just getting by uh, to ministry or reaching out and, and obtaining the promises by which God has gave us. Many of us here today, we have heard of the name Joshua and Caleb. Am I right about it? How many people here have heard of Joshua and Caleb? Amen. Whether we've heard or read about them in Sunday school, whether we've read about them uh, or heard about them from a message or a sermon. Most of us have, have, have heard of them. When someone says Joshua and someone says Caleb, we, we can identify with these men. We have some sense of, of who they are because they lived their lives courageously. Because they were courageous men. Because they, they lived their lives before God and they became heroes of Israel. But most of us probably are not as familiar with the names Shammah, Shiphat, Shether, Igal, Patal, Gadel, Gadai, Amil, Abai, and Jeel. Those names don't really ring a bell, do they? Some of you thought that I just said some, some man from the Taliban, or I was quoting the people who uh, tried to, or who did damage on 9-11. Because those men's names don't, don't, don't reside with us. They don't spark a, a light in our minds because they are not as important. And the reason why we don't know them and we're not familiar with those 10 men's names is because they weren't heroic. In fact, those are the names of the 10 spies that went out with Jacob and Caleb. Most people don't remember people who live lives as cowards. Only courageous people are celebrated. Only courageous people have a, a legacy that goes past themselves. Nobody celebrates a coward. We look down on cowards. We see them as weak. We, we, we talk bad about them. We, we pass over their names quickly. And, and most of the times we don't even tell their first name. We just say, do you remember that person who, who after school was about to box Bobby but ran? Cowards aren't remembered. Cowards aren't celebrated. God was calling 
Israel to be his people. He brought them out of Egypt in order to introduce them to his power. He, he showed Pharaoh who was really God and who was really in control. And he, he called Israel out of captivity and out of slavery in order that his power would be demonstrated throughout all the other nations. In order that the other nations would see his people and, and see that they were delivered by a mighty God, by a great God. God did this through miraculous signs. But there came a time where, where God was, was trying to tell them, listen, what I, I, I'm going to do for you is I'm just going to straight up hook you up. I'm going to give you a land that's bigger than you. I'm going to give you a place to occupy called Canaan that you really don't deserve. And the reason that I'm going to give you this land is because I want all of the other nations to see how great I am. That's the type of God we serve. We serve a God that wants to hook us up, not for the sake of hooking us up. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about hook you up with peace. Hook you up with love. Hook you up with a, a sound mind. Hook, hook you up with a good marriage. Hook you up with a good relationship with him in order that everybody else around you can see that there's something different about you. And that's what God wanted to do with Israel. He wanted to hook them up. But in the process of hooking them up, he had to show them his power. And, and, and he wanted to, to show the leaders that you can trust me. So he brought them out with miracle after miracle out of Egypt. So we see here that Moses, the servant of God, the prophet of Israel, has a word from God. And God told Moses, he said, I want you to go and I want you to gather all the leaders together, which was 12. I want you to go to each tribe, get each of the leaders, and I want you to tell them to go. And I want to spy out the land that I have promised to you. And the Bible says that 10 went out, 12 went out. And Moses told them, before you go out, he says, whatever you see, whether good or bad, if the people in the land are strong or, or weak, if, if, if the land is great or small, if the food is good or bad, whatever you see, when you come back, he said, he said be encouraged. The Bible tells us that ten spies went out and came back with a negative report. Ten of the spies had a report that, that depressed the rest of Israel. Ten of the spies, despite God telling them that this was the land that I'm giving you and this is the way I want to bless you, ten of them came back because they saw what was in the land and they came back and said, look, Moses, this is not our land. I don't know what God done told you or what you believe that he done told you, but, but this is not for us to occupy. The, the people over there are too big. The people over there are too strong. We can never overtake these people. This is not the land that God has promised. In fact, we are like grasshoppers to them. We are like grasshoppers to them. They came back with a negative report, despite God telling them to be encouraged. And as a result, they will forever be known as a coward. What is a coward? A coward is a person who lacks courage. A person who lacks courage. 
A person who is faced with a difficulty, faced with a danger, faced with some type of pain, faced with some type of life experience, and instead of responding in courage, they respond in fear. But God told them, be of good courage. And God has called us to live courageously. To have courage. To have courage means to have a quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulties, to face dangers, to face any life situation and still operate in faith. And God has called us to be a, a people of courage. And the question that I want us to answer today and I, I want to, to ask is... Because in the eyes of God is courageous living, living with courage. Is it an option? Is it just a, another way of life or is it mandatory? Does God expect people to live courageously? Does God expect people to face life without fear and with faith? Is it optional or is it mandatory? Well, let's look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 22 through 24, and we'll see how God responds to courageous people and to cowards. And it says in verse 22, he says about the ten spies, he says, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it but my servant Caleb. Because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Now go down to verse 30 and verse 33. He continues, it says, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. So we see God responding. To two types of people. We see him first responding to the cowards. And he says that those who despise my word, those who did not have faith in what I said, that I would give them the land of Israel, they will not see my glory. They will not see my power. I will do away with them. That's what verse 36 says. He says, And the man whom Moses sent to spy the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against them by bringing up a bad report about the land, the man who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. Did we catch that? Those who were cowards died. God struck them with the plague. They, they ceased to live. 
But those who responded courageously, those who responded with courage, those who responded with faith were blessed to live. And, and as we embark on this new year, we must know that the call of a Christian is a call to live courageously. It is a call to wage war against God's enemies. And, and we must know that God has called each and every person who holds up the banner of Christ to live with courage. To live with faith, to live with boldness, to live with assurance, knowing that if God calls us to something, that he will bring us through. God has called us as Christians to wage war against Satan. Not a physical war, but a, a spiritual war. For the Bible says that, that we, we fight against with, with spiritual weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Just like Israel, as they were embarking upon a new territory and a new land, just as they were going to have to go into warfare, the call of a Christian is, the, is a call of warfare. It's a call to fight. And the first person that we're called to fight against is Satan. The Bible says it's not, not a physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. For we wrestle not against flesh and, and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The kingdom of God has enemies. God is at war against Satan and he has called us to be like Joshua and Caleb to go into the enemy's camp and say we can take you down. Not only do we wage war against Satan but the Bible tells us that we are to wage war against our flesh. So Paul said, he said we ought to put to the, the deeds of the flesh. A first war or enemy is saying the second war is ourself. It's that old man, that, that carnal man, our, our old desires. Don't sit there and look at me like you don't got no old man in you, like it's not a wrestle. The Bible tells us, Paul told us that it was, it's like it was two of him wrestling. When he wanted to do good, evil was ever beside him. You know you got a war going on the inside of you. The Bible says that we ought to wage war against the flesh, mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're at warfare. We had warfare against Satan. We had warfare many times against our, ourself, against that, that old man, that, that carnal nature. And the, and the third thing that we ought to be at war against is the world and its values. So Jesus said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the eye, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Second thing, that, the third thing that we are at war is, is against the world and, and the world system, the, the way that the world operates. Because the world system is, is against God. 
The world doesn't want holiness. The world system doesn't want wholeness. No, the world system wants you to just do it. It wants you to do whatever makes you feel good. It wants to draw you in to to spend your money and your time on worthless things, things that will draw you and me away from the presence of God. And God is telling us that we must wage war, that, that the Christian life is not a, a playground, but it is a, a battleground. God has not called us to play. God has, has called us to battle. And we ought to not make it a secret. We ought to let Satan know that that we're coming for you. We are going to do everything that we can to destroy your kingdom. We are going to do everything we can to to fight against these principalities and these powers that are in high places because we have a commission from God. We have a commission from our chief commander and it is to to go into your kingdom, into dark places and to be light. To be light. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is not a suggestion. That is not a a cute statement. That is not something that we maybe should think about doing. No, that is a strategic battle strategy. That is our commander telling us to go into the devil's kingdom, make him upset, let's save some souls and see some lives change for the sake of the gospel. That is our marching orders to go. And it takes courage to go. Bible says for he sends us out as sheep In the midst of wolves. That's not all that encouraging by itself. He's letting you know that it it takes courage for a sheep to to leave the fold and and to stand in the midst of wolves. But it, it takes courage to be a Christian. We need to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is the call to be a Christian worth being ostracized? Is the call to be courageous worth losing our life? Is the call to be a Christian worth the the funny looks? Is the call to be a Christian worth being called weird and, and lame? Is the call to be a Christian worth? Sometimes being lonely on a Friday night is the call to be a Christian worth. Sometimes having to be very picky and selective about who you talk to and and who you date is the call to be a Christian worth being outside of the in crowd. And Jesus does his best. He, he, He answers that question when he says, blessed are you when they revile you and and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things falsely against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 
Jesus was letting us know that we ought to rejoice when we're ostracized. We ought to rejoice when we get funny looks against us. We ought to rejoice when people talk about us. Why? Because there is a great reward. He said, it's worth it. Paul said, eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard, neither has it entered in the, into the heart of man what God has prepared for, for me and you. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who are courageous are those who will be celebrated. Just as Joshua and Caleb was, was celebrated before all of Israel as the, as the plagues did not come upon them, but they were seen as heroes and, and, and held up in and, and high esteem, so will the Christians who take a mighty stand in their walk with Christ and who stand up against Satan and his kingdom, so will we be celebrated. That's what the gospel tells us. That's what the word tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, that everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus said, I will celebrate or acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And everyone, guess that everyone who lives courageously for me, Everyone who, who gives up their life for me, everyone who lives radically for me, I will celebrate. I will show off before my father. But just as the ten spies who were rejected, we must know that as, as Christians, that those who don't live with, with courage, those who don't live in faith, that, that they, that we will be rejected as well. Next verse, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, he said, But whoever denies me before my, before Men, I will deny before my father. Jesus says, Who, whoever denies me before the world, I will deny before my father. Something really baffled me. Something really caught me off guard as I was reading the scriptures. Turn your Bibles to Revelations 21.8. Of all the sins, of all the things that a man could do, what do you think would be first on the list? Who do you think would be the first that, that God will judge and throw into the lake of fire? When you think about all the murders and all the thieves, all the scandalous acts, all the acts of, of treachery, who, who, who do you think would be judged first? Jeffrey Dahmer, some mass murderer, some, some terrorist. Let's see who's mentioned in Revelations chapter 21, verse 8. 
but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. As I was reading Revelations 21.8, I, I had to stop because the first thing that is mentioned in that scripture is not the murderers. It's not the fornicators. It's not the adulterers. It is the, the cowards. People who live their life under the Christian pretense, but, but who were cowards, who were afraid to let others know. Because after all, Revelations was written to a Christian congregation. And John was saying that those who come into the flock and those who, who, who worship with us on a regular, who say that they are Christians but who don't take a stand for Jesus Christ and for his name, they will be rejected. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the call to live for Christ is a courageous call. Bible says, if any man will come after me, he must pick up his cross and follow me. Pick up his cross. Not pick up a pen. Not pick up a, a good book. Not pick up a, a good hymn or a song. But if any man wants to Come after me. If any man wants to follow me, he must pick up his cross. The early church would have saw that as, as shocking news. They would have saw that as, as heavy news. Of, of all the things in the world for a person to pick up, to follow you, of, of all the requirements, you pick the hardest thing to do. For the cross was equivalent to, to death by the electric chair or worse. It was something that only the, the worst offenders would have to experience. Jesus in essence was saying that the call to follow me is a, is a call of courageous living. It is a, a call of deep humility. It is a, a call that says, I'm all in. Now, many of us haven't ever played poker because we're saved. So the term all in doesn't really strike a bell. But I heard. <laughs> that if a person is, is playing poker and they have a, a, a great hand and, they, and if they know that they can have a chance at winning that they would look at their hand they would say I'm all in and put it all on the table and say look this is all I got and I'm going with it. This is me. This is I'm putting my, my livelihood at stake at this time. That's what the call of a Christian is. It's a call that says, I'm all in. It's a call that says, God, you have all of me. Not, not part of me, but, but you have me. 
2010 for Forest Baptist Church is the year of courage is the year that we must say as a congregation and as a church that I am all in. It's a year that we must say that I am ready to engage in warfare. In warfare. The first place of warfare for many of us is, is our families. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're, they're spiritual. They're, they're mighty to the pulling down of, of strongholds. Our, our, our weapon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we have to make up in our mind that in 2010 that we are going to go to the places and to the people in our families who, who everyone else has given up on and everyone else has, has thrown in the towel on. We have to make up in our mind that in 2010, I'm all in. I'm going to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you shared the gospel with your lost auntie, with your lost uncle, with your cousins, Nuke Nuke, Bebe and now, Bow Wow and Shanae have you, have you taken the time to, to share the gospel, the, the message of first importance that, that Jesus Christ lived, died, and, and was resurrected on, on the third day? Have you taken the time to, to look your family members in the eye and not just gloss over the gospel, not, not talk about your church, but, but talk about their sin and their need of a Savior? Have you taken the time to engage? To engage. We could have had another thing. We could have said 10, 2010 is the year we win. 2010 is close to the end. 2010, I'm going to finally get my bins. But let's, let's make it something that matters. Let's say that in 2010, I'm going to engage my family with the gospel. I'm going to sit down and, and, and write down the name of everyone that is in my family that does not know Jesus and that is lost and headed to hell and I am going to engage. I'm not going to sit around a table and, and talk about my pastor and talk about how he preached and talk about the deacons and how they serve and the trustees and how they count money and fix the building. No, I'm going to sit down and talk to them about their situation and their lostness. Because after all, it is the cowards that's mentioned first. 2010 must be the year that we not only engage our families, it must be the year that we engage this community. 2010 must be the year where, where Forest Baptist Church, where we step outside of these walls and we make the Petersburg, Newburgh community our first area of importance. There are people right up the street who don't know the gospel. There are people right behind us who, who, who have never heard a, a, a pure message of the gospel. There are, are people to, to the right and to the left who, who are lost. And, and this is our, our Canaan. This is what God has, has called us to conquer.
conquer. And God is looking for some Joshua's and some Caleb's, some people that say, yes, this is a, a big neighborhood. And, and there may only be a few of us, but, but we must engage. We can take the land for the sake of the gospel. And we don't fight with nasty words. We don't fight with dirty tricks. We don't fight by, by trying to guilt people. No, no. We fight with the gospel for it is the gospel that is the power of God until salvation. We must engage. Engaging means we must be willing to come down to the church on days other than Wednesdays and Sundays. We must be willing to put on yellow shirts and be a part of the Sun team and, and walk up and down the block and, and let people know not about our church but about our Savior. Tell them about your Savior and, and they'll follow you to church if you tell them about his love and, and tell them about his gentleness. Tell them about his kindness but tell them about his wrath. Tell them about how good he's been and how he's brought you from a, a mighty long way but, 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 but let them know that there is somebody who loves you despite of you and, and one day he's coming back on a white horse and, and in the clouds and he's going to judge the earth and I don't want to see you judged boo not only must we engage our families not only must we engage our communities but my God we must engage this world with the gospel the Bible tells us to to go to the ends of the world we must not only talk to people who are our skin color about Jesus, but we must talk to people who don't look like us, who don't sound like us, who don't like the same music as us and wear the same type of jeans as us and, and color their hair the same way as us. We must be willing to, to go into the, the places of this earth that other people aren't willing to go in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. June 5th through 12th. Our college students will gather together courageously and go to Costa Rica. They will go to a community in Costa Rica that is surrounded by non-believers and, and, and Catholics. They will go to a community that is, is dark and, and void of the gospel and they will stand up with courage and, and tell this community that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must support them. We must support them with our, our, our giving. We must support them with our encouragement. We, we must support them and build them up. The reason why most people don't engage is because of fear. They're afraid to engage. As we look at this text, we see that fear drove these ten spies away from the promises of God. Now, there's a such thing as a healthy fear. The Bible teaches us that. A, a healthy fear, the, the fear of God, which means to have an, an awesome respect for God. It's healthy. The Bible says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We ought to fear God. We ought to have an awesome respect of God. It's, that's a, a healthy fear. But there is an unhealthy fear, an unhealthy fear which, which keeps many Christians in their seats. 
a fear that keeps many Christians with their mouths closed, a, a fear that keeps many Christians giving the, the bare minimum, 10% of their tithes. Why 10%? Why not 11? Why not 12? Why, why not as, as much as I can give the Lord? There is a, a fear of, of losing what we have. These spies, they, they had a, a fear that many of us could justify. They went into another nation that, that far outweighed them, that had a, a reputation for destroying other nations. They, they looked over this, this land and they said, listen, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they have more resources, we cannot win. And yet God judged them with a plague because they looked through the eyes of fear rather than the eyes of faith. To, to have fear means to focus on myself. It means to protect myself. It means to constantly be thinking, what will I lose? What will I lose if I walk up to this girl and, and tell her about Jesus Christ? What will she think about me if I was to tell her that, that, that I'm a Christian and that, that I believe that, that she needs a Savior? Think about what we will lose. We think about losing popularity. We think about losing comfortability. We think about, about losing a, a, a good reputation. We think about being called perhaps a, a Jesus freak or uh, someone who's holier than thou. Stop making excuses for being holy. Acting like you're holier than thou. Oh, well, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. What I was, I was just trying to say, no, the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy. You better start taking that as a compliment saying, thank you. I'm glad you noticed. But our fear keeps us from, from speaking up. Our, our fear keeps us timid. Our, our fear keeps us living a, a Christian life that is, is maintaining only ourselves and not jumping out of the box to, to minister to others. Our, our fear keeps us in our cubicles. Our, our fear keeps us around the television. Our, our, our fear keeps us living a, a safe life. The gospel is not about safety. The gospel is about going all in. The gospel is about being radically different than the world. Think about what Satan might do rather than what God can do. Satan, if I give a little extra than I'm supposed to, if I help this person out, then, then, then emergency might come up and I might be evicted out of my house. Don't you know that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and they who dwell therein, that the earth, that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord, that the, the, the Lord is the one who, who created all things, that he allowed Jesus and the disciples to go fishing and find a, a coin in a fish's mouth, God is your supplier. Norman Peale says that the cure of fear is faith. What happened to, to faith? What happened to, to faith in the Christian walk? What happened to faith in the life of believers? 
Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is having hope and, 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 and trusting in the Lord despite looking at the circumstances that say that, that you can't do it. What happened to faith in the, the eyes of a believer? For we walk by faith and not by sight. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that, that Christians, we should be doing stuff that requires faith. If giving 10% does not require faith, then you need to give 15%. We ought to be doing things that, that require faith. Ministering to people, even though we don't have confidence in ourselves, we don't see how we're going to bring up Jesus. That, that requires faith. Where could God take you if you didn't have fear? Where could God take this church if we stood up courageously in 2010 said, and said, enough of church? Enough of just church on Sundays and Bible study on Wednesdays. But, but now we need, we need more. We need to put our, our faith in action and challenge ourselves to do more than we've ever did. That's what the world needs. The world needs to see a church that is really living by faith. Not by sight. Not, not setting goals that they could see. We need to challenge God and give him a God-sized challenge. A God-sized challenge. Not a person-sized challenge. Not, not say, God, this year we want to baptize five people. No, a God-sized challenge. Say, God, this year we want you to blow our minds with how many people come to you. Not a, a challenge to say this year as a church we want to give the same amount that we gave last year. No, a God-sized challenge that says this year as a church we want to give fifty dollars to $100,000 more than last year in order that we can send more people on mission trips. A God-sized faith that says this year I'm not just going to read 10 verses a day or every other day, but this year I'm going to read through the whole Bible. A God-sized faith. Facts minus faith equal fear. Faith starts when we start looking at him who is faithful. So how do we stop living comfortable and start living courageous? First thing we need to do is we need to focus on the right person. Many times we, we focus on ourselves. We need to take the focus off of ourselves and put it on God. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. We need to know that God is good. If God brings us to a challenge, he will take care of us. If God brings us to a mountain, he will move it. If God brings a, a difficult situation in my life, it is not to harm me, but it is to help me. The Lord is good. 
He's a stronghold in a day of trouble. He creates days of trouble so that we can run under his protection. He creates days of trouble so that we can feel his comfort. He creates days of trouble so that we can hide under his, his wings. He, he creates days of trouble so that we can feel his spirit ushering and, and moving us on. He creates days of trouble so that we can know the power of prayer. He, he creates days of troubles in order that we can show people that this is how we do it. This is how we get down when the going gets tough and the tough gets going. This is how we make it through when, when people persecute us and come against us this is how we get down when when the walls are coming in on the side of us we don't fuss and cuss and, and lose our head now we go into our strong tower we we go into him who is able to to keep us from falling him who is able to to make us a new him who is able to allow us to mount up with wings of eagles we we don't break down baby we get built up you must don't know who i serve i serve a, a mighty god Fear will have you run away from God, but faith has you run to God. God is perfect and God is love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fears. When we put our focus on him and take it away from us, we experience his love and perfect love casts out all fear. And when we experience his love, we respond to him with love. When, when somebody is in love, they do things despite a, a, a fearful situation. When a mother who is afraid to fly hears that her child has just been harmed and the only way that she can get there is to fly that mother puts aside her fear of flying and she gets on the plane because love is taking her you don't hear me when when a father is afraid to go over a bridge but he hears that his son has had a wreck he's not afraid of that bridge he will drive over that bridge to get to his son when a boyfriend buys a new car and he's afraid to let his homies drive it, he'll let his girlfriend drive it because he loves his girlfriend. Perfect love cast out all fear. We must focus on the love of God. That's what I'm challenging us to do. To focus on the love of God. Remember God's promises. Israel had remembered God's promise. If they had remembered that God told them that I will give you the land, maybe they would have went in. But the last thing we got to do is we got to operate in the spirit of God. That's what the Bible said that, that Caleb did. Joshua did. They said that he had a different spirit. The fact of the matter is, is that we have a different spirit. As believers, we have to know that God has given us his Holy Spirit. That is a different spirit. A caterpillar has a low perspective. Because a caterpillar is a caterpillar. It, it crawls to get where it wants to go. That's the, that's the way it lives. That's the way it's used to living. Because it's a caterpillar. That's, that's what he's used to living. And when we were in the world, we were caterpillars. 
We had a low view. We had a low perspective. We, we didn't have much faith and, and much hope. We, we put our hope in things that did not matter, in things that were shattered, because that's who we were. We were caterpillars. But one day, a caterpillar goes into the cocoon, and he wakes up a butterfly. And when he wakes up as a butterfly, he has a different perspective on life because he now sees life at a, at a, in a different way. He's able to see over the trees and he's able to see over the waters. He's able to see things that he couldn't see before. Y'all don't hear me. And that's the way it is in the life of a believer. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, he makes us into a butterfly. He gives us a better perspective, a bigger perspective. He gives us power, the power to live, the power to be free, the power to be strong, the power to do things that we thought we weren't going to do, the power to share the gospel to people that we thought we weren't going to share. And the question that I want to ask you this year is, will you live like a, a caterpillar or will you live like a butterfly? Will you live in the flesh or, or will you live in the spirit? Will you trust God for your provision or will you continue to, to worry about what you don't have? Will you trust God to take you to a, another level in him and, and live courageously and do something that you never did before? Or will you settle for what you did last year? Holy Spirit is a supernatural power. That means that we ought to be doing supernatural things. The world does ordinary things. We ought to do supernatural things. This is the year of courage. This is the year that we look at our enemies and we say that you will be defeated because I serve a mighty God. Stand to your feet. As we go and celebrate the, the coming in of a, a new year, celebrate with a, an intention to do more than you've ever done in the previous years. To be a radical Christian, a courageous Christian. Grab your neighbor by the hand. We're going to close out with a prayer. And the prayer that I'm going to pray is the prayer that we're getting ready to go out and put in the capsule as we celebrate this new year. It's our prayer for our goals for next year, which is to simply live courageously for Christ. We didn't write a, a, a long goal list as long as we did last year, but, but we did write what I just said. That's, that's our goal next year, that we would engage our families, our community, and our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That God will use each and every member of Forest Baptist Church to live courageously for Christ. We will step out on faith and do God-sized things. Not man-sized things. God-sized things. Challenge God. Oh, taste and see that the, the Lord is good. Taste him and, and see that he's able to do exceedingly above and beyond. Father God, I pray for your people. I pray, Father God, that you would allow us as a, as a church 
to not settle for an ordinary year this next year. Father, we need to, to feel your power. We need a, a demonstration of power, not, not, just, uh, not just words, Father God, but we need to, to feel, Lord. Would, would, would you allow the, the church to feel, Lord, that was, that was under the direction of Paul, Father? We need to, to see your power, to see your face like, like Moses, Father God, who said, Lord, let me see your, your face. We need to see your glory in order that we could have the boldness that we need to have, Father God. We need to feel the gospel in our hearts burn, Father God, so that we can be like Jeremiah and have it shut up in our bones. We need you desperately we need you desperately we need you so that we can go outside of these walls for your name's sake be glorified amen we are getting ready to go outside it's almost 12 o'clock. We're going to put the capsule in the ground. And, uh, and, and Barry, we're going to say a word of prayer. We have balloons for each person to have a 